Luke chapter four, verse 18. And let's look there together. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to who? Come on, talk to me now. He, the scriptures right here. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to who? So the gospel is for the poor. Guess what that means? It means we're all poor without Jesus because the gospel's for everybody. So what he's saying here is he's not the, he's not saying the gospel is just for people that are living on the streets. The gospel he's not saying the gospel is for people that are broke. He's not saying the gospel is for people that don't have any money. He's not saying the gospel is only for people on welfare. He's not saying the gospel is only for people that that are homeless. He's saying the gospel is to be preached. Jesus said the spirit of God anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and everybody's poor without the gospel. Everybody's listen, you got to get a hold of this. Everybody's poor without the gospel, no matter how much money they have, no matter how much health they have, no matter how many friends they have, no matter how much success they have. Everybody's poor without the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus no longer is holding your sins against you, but he is holding your sins in his heart and nailing them to the cross. And he is taking your sins upon himself and nailing them to the cross. So all of your sins are washed away. The Lamb of God has taken away the sin of the world and the sins of the world through his precious blood. He has forgiven us of all our sins, washed us of all of our sins. And that's why we're poor no more, because the wealthiest person in the world is the person who has accepted the gospel and has accepted the king of the king of kings, Jesus Christ, into their life as their savior and Lord. You want to know what it means to be wealthy? It means to have God in your life. You want to know what it means to be prosperous, to have God in your life and to know him. I got to show you this. Look at the Bible says in second Kings chapter. Well, I'm just guessing here, so hopefully the team will find it. They're really good at finding scriptures that I can't find. But second Kings chapter six, I believe it's in second Kings chapter six. Where it says, um, that they were taking the Ark of the Covenant to David's house. And as they were taking the Ark of the Covenant, they they stumbled and they tripped. They were t- the Ark of the Covenant is where the presence of God dwelt in the Old Testament. He, he dwelt in the Ark of the Covenant. If you ever saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, then you know. Remember, it's the Ark of the Covenant. It's like this box where God's presence dwelt. And they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Maybe if you know where this verse is, you can yell it out. But they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant to David's house. And it says it began to they tripped and it began to 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 tip over. And Uzzah, his one of the men there that was that was um, that was with the group, he 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 touched it to stop it from from falling. And he was struck dead because he wasn't a priest and only the priests were to carry the Ark of the Covenant and only the priests were allowed to touch the Ark of the Covenant. So the anger of the Lord was aroused against him and he struck him there for his error and he died by the Ark of God. Why did he die? Because only the priests who had on the holy ephod or this um, holy garment were protected from the holiness of God, even though they were unholy, 
all men were unholy without the blood of Jesus. And so they put on this this priestly garment and God honored that garment so that anybody wearing that garment. Now, we don't wear a garment now to be able to go into the presence of God. We have been washed by the blood of Jesus, and that's why we can go into the presence of God. Right. You guys with me or did you go home today? So these priests, so if you weren't, if you, if you didn't have the holy garments on, just like today, if you're not washed by the blood of Jesus, I don't mean washed by your holiness or washed by your confession or washed by what you've done right. Washed by the blood, you will die also and you will be struck down in judgment only because light and darkness cannot mix. That's why Jesus cleanses us from all of our darkness so that we can stand in the presence of God. He washes us of our sin. Someone said, how how ungodly of a God, like how unfair of a God who it's not because God's unfair that you can't go to heaven without Jesus. It's because you can't live in the presence of God with sin. That's why Jesus had to die for our sins so that there was nothing separating us from God anymore. You say, well, what if I sin today? Am I separated from God? No, because Jesus already he already washed and forgave you and removed your sins past, present and future 2000 years ago. It's not if you sin tomorrow, it's not like if you sin tomorrow, now you're separated from God again because Jesus already accounted for the sin that you're going to commit tomorrow. He already accounted for that. He already forgave you of that. He already cleansed you of that. He already washed you of that. You say, how can he wash me of a sin that I commit tomorrow when that's in the future? But you got to realize today is your is a future compared to 2000 years ago. And yesterday is the future compared to 2000 years ago. So all your sins were washed away. And all of your sins were future sins when Jesus died for them. Are you following me? I know it's like not where I was planning to go, but I'm, I'm here. OK. And verse eight says, look at what he says. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he named that place Perez Uzzah to this day. Look at verse nine. And it says so David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? Verse 10. So look at what they did. So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David. Why? Because he didn't want to risk anybody else touching it and dying. So he so David took it aside. That's where they they just happened to be right at the place as they were going on the way to David's house. They happened to be and, and where this happened was by Obed Edom's house. Now, it's just good to be in the right place at the right time. I, all I can tell you is it's good to be in the right place at the right time. And it says, so David took it aside. Oh, here we're at Obed-Edom's house. And look at what they did at Obed-Edom's house. Verse 11. So the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household because of the ark of the covenant, because of the presence of God that was with Obed-Edom's house. Obed-Edom and all of his household was blessed. Why? Because the ark of the Lord remained in his house for three months. And David was look, like verse 12. David was like, wow, look at this. Verse 12. David was like, whoa, man, 
It was told to David, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God, because of the presence of God. So David went up and he's like, "Okay, man, I want some of that blessing. David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And they all began to rejoice. And and David's house was blessed. Why? Again, because of the presence of God. Listen to me. Your life is not blessed because you do everything right, because none of us do everything right. Your house, your life is blessed because you've been washed by the blood of Jesus, because God's presence is with you and because God will never leave you or forsake you. Can anybody say amen to that? Now you're the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, the Bible says uh, the Lord doesn't dwell in temples made with hands anymore, doesn't dwell in arks made with hands anymore. He dwells in human temples. We are now the temple of God and God dwells in us. And therefore, wherever we go is blessed. When you go into a family situation, expect the blessing. When you go into a financial situation, expect the blessing. When you go into a job situation, expect the blessing. Why? Because you come to this church? No, but because the spirit of God lives inside of you, the presence of God lives inside of you. The good thing about this church is that it teaches you about God's presence living inside of you. That's why it's important where you go to church, Because what you are taught is is, it's the way in which you live. It's the way you're going to live based on your understanding. Well, there's so much I want to tell you about that, but not enough time to tell you. I just want you to know God's presence is with you. No matter what you've done, if you're born again, he's with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse five in the Amplified Bible, Hebrews chapter 13, verse five in the Amplified Bible. It's my introduction. Then I've got a really short message. Hebrews chapter 13, verse five and six. Let your character or moral disposition be free from the love of money, including greed, avarice, um, lust and cravings for earthly possessions. He doesn't say it's wrong to have things. It just says you shouldn't be lusting for those things. And be satisfied with your present circumstances and with what you have. For he, God himself, has said, why should you be satisfied with what you have? Because God himself has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down, nor relax my hold on you. And in case I'm not getting the message across, let me make this point. Assuredly not. What a promise from God. Well, the reason I share this is because I'm really off of my notes because I got 10 pages of notes to which I'm not going to get through one of them, but I might get through one one page. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me today to tell you that God is no respecter of persons, meaning if he'll have mercy on one, he'll have mercy on all. If he forgives one, he forgives all. And we cannot be a church that judges one another or judges other people. Mercy. We sang about this today. Mercy is greater than judgment. And we need to be a house of mercy, a church of mercy. We need to have mercy on the weak and the strong. 
We need to have mercy on the people who are doing great and the people who are doing poorly, the people who are succeeding and the people who are failing. The people who have stumbled and sinned, the people who have had struggles and addictions, the people who have fallen and can't get up, the people who have felt rejected, the people who have been ostracized, the people who have been kicked out of God's kingdom, the people who've been told in some other church that they went to, well, you're not really saved because you look at how unholy you're living. Well, you're not you're not saved based on your holy living. You're saved by the grace of God. If it, if it was your holy living that saved you, then why did Jesus have to come? There were a lot of holy people and holy prophets in the Old Testament, but none of them were saved by their holiness. We're saved by grace. We're saved by grace. I want our church to be an umbrella of acceptance. You say, are you saying that any lifestyle, it doesn't matter? It matters, but you're accepted here regardless of your lifestyle, as long as it's not hurting somebody else. Because if you just give us enough time, God will work out your lifestyle situation. God will work out your weaknesses. God will work out your flaws. For it is God who is at work in you. It's God. Look at what it says in Philippians chapter 1, verse, um, verse uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. He says, for it is God who is at work in you. It's God who is at work in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Is that where that is? For it is God who works in you. God doesn't work on you. He works in you. Both to will, to do and to will for his good pleasure, to will and to do for his good pleasure. It's Philippians 1, 6. He who began a good work in you will complete it until finish it. Look at Philippians 1, 6. He who began a good work in you will finish it until the day of Christ Jesus. He'll complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. If it's not complete yet, guess what? The day of Christ Jesus hasn't come. He hasn't returned yet. You're still a work in progress. Everything's going to be all right. Just subject yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit by being in the house of God, no matter what you did yesterday. I'm not encouraging you to go out and sin and go out and mess around and go out and make bad decisions because we reap what we sow. There are bad harvests associated with our bad seeds. Come on, help me now. But what I'm saying is God doesn't stop working on you and you shouldn't stay out of the church until you get it all together. Because then who's... Look, I'm leaving right now. If we got to stay out of the church until we got it all together, I ain't coming back. Because I am not going to have it all together till Jesus comes back. Nor will any pastor, nor will any evangelist, nor will any apostle, prophet, teacher, or sheep. None of us. The idea of ostracizing fallen sheep or fallen shepherds is not a part of God's nature. He doesn't ostracize. He heals. He doesn't judge. He has mercy. Galatians 6.1 says, If a brother is caught in a trespass, overtaken, 
You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one considering yourself, lest you too be tempted. Where's that scripture? I think it's first Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Woe to the one who thinks he stands. Take heed lest he fall. Boy, we need to be humble. Boy, we need to be humble. I'm not saying that my life is above the law or that I can just go out and do whatever I want and and you should just respect. No, what I'm saying is. If we will be people of mercy, we will heal the body and we will reach the world. But if we're self-righteous, think we're better than anybody else, think we can talk about other people and gossip about other people and look down on other people, we are missing the gospel completely. Well, I don't know. I'm just going to take a break for a second and just think about what I'm going to say next, okay? I just want that to sink in for a minute. I just want that to sink in for a minute. Woe to the one who thinks he stands. Take heed lest he fall. Boy, we should always remember Romans 5 1. We should always remember Romans 5 1. Let's look there. Romans 5 1. We should remember this verse and verse 2. Look at what he says. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse two. Look at this now. He says, through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We don't stand because we've done it all so well. We don't stand because we've been holy. We stand in the grace of God. And that's why we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice because God lets us stand in his grace and God makes us stand. God enables us to stand in his grace so we don't have to stand in our ego, in our pride, in our self-righteousness, in thinking that we've done it. So when us when a sheep stumbles, when a shepherd stumbles, when anybody stumbles, We should take heed lest we fall. We should pray. We should be gentle. We should restore. We should heal. We should want everybody to get better. We should be like doctors and nurses in a hospital and want everybody to get better. None of us should say, look, doctors and nurses who work in a hospital, they don't judge the the reason why the patient is in there. They just heal him. They don't say, well, you know, he's a drug dealer. Let him die. Who are we to determine who should die and who shouldn't? A doctor is committed to get everybody that he is possibly can to recover and to become better. We Jesus is the great physician. He wants everybody to be healed. He wants everybody to be saved. He wants everybody to be better. So should we. And if and if you don't want that, if, you, if there's something in you that rejoices when somebody stumbles, when, rejoices when somebody falls, that's pride because you're 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 trusting in your ability to stand. And the Bible says we stand in this grace. We stand in grace. I don't know why I'm talking to you about this. Holy Spirit 
told me to share some of this. And any of it that's and any of it you don't like, maybe that maybe I added that part myself. So just discard that. <laughs> Our key scripture here is Luke 4:18. He says, "The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor." Everybody is poor until they've met Jesus. The presence of God is the source of all success and all true prosperity. Can a person have financial success without God? Can a person be healthy physically without God? Yes. But a person cannot have true eternal success without God, nor can they have true happiness without God. Because God's presence is the source of real joy in your presence. Psalm 16:11 says in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Joy and pleasure was God's idea, but it comes from his presence. And when you substitute joy and pleasure and you try to supply yourself with joy and pleasure from some other way, then you you will you, you will you will be miserable. You'll you'll end up on crack. You'll end up on an opioid. You'll end up you'll end up addicted to something because let me tell you what we're all addicted to. We're all addicted to happiness. And we are experimenting in life. We all experiment in life with trying to find the thing that will make us happy. And until you come to grips with this reality that only in his presence is fullness of joy, you can have temporary, partial, momentary happiness with a artificial stimulant, but you cannot have fullness of joy without the presence of God and you cannot have pleasure forevermore, pleasure that lasts. The thing I was trying to impress upon you the other day is that when I was talking about you know, God says, my love is better than wine. God's love is better than wine. And um, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't because he was comparing something bad to something good. He was comparing something good to something better. Not because it's good to get drunk or it's good uh, to be high, but because he's saying those artificial stimulants do make you feel good temporarily. But the thing about God's love and the thing about God's Holy Spirit, the reason it's better is because it doesn't leave you with a hangover. The reason it's better is because it doesn't cost you an arm and a leg. The reason that it's better is because you won't go broke losing all your money on drugs. You won't go broke losing all your money on gambling. You won't go broke losing all your money on making bad decisions because you have tapped into the true source of joy and happiness, which is the presence of God who lives inside of you when you're born again. He's inside of you. And man, our, our, our journey is to get to know him. Jesus said in John 17, verse three, this is eternal life. He says to the father, this is eternal life. He says, father, this is eternal life that they, meaning us, would know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
This is eternal life, man. This is the God kind of life. This is the life that never ends. This is the life that never fails. This is the life that never runs out. This is the life that is never depressed. This is the life that never is empty. This eternal life is knowing God. How do you know him? The Bible says we know him by knowing his word. We know him by knowing his love. We know him by knowing his grace. We know him by knowing his character. God's character. See, you can't read the Bible and understand it. You can read the Bible, but you can't understand it until you understand the nature of the author of it. Until you understand that God is love. 1 John 4, 8. God is love. Everybody say God is love. Until you understand that, you have, love has to be the filter by which you interpret every scripture. Every scripture must be interpreted through God as love. So when it says, God says, don't, you know, don't kill somebody else. It's not because he's afraid of you spending your life in jail because God's presence can be with you in jail too. It's because he loves you so much. He doesn't want you to do something that's going to hurt somebody else and hurt you. It's love. Why do you make rules for your children when you're raising them? It should be because you love them, not because you want peace. Here are the rules so that I can have peace. Shut up and listen and don't say a word until you're 18. And we, we make rules based on our own desire for peace rather than rules to enhance the love experience that children are supposed to have. They, Shut up, kid. You're making so much noise. They're banging on the pots and pans when they're three. At, at, at least it doesn't cost you any money for to- more toys. Let them use the pots and pans as toys. Let them play. Let the kids play. Whew. Wow. All right. Okay. Okay, you ready? We're going to start now. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Let me close with this. In Luke 4, 18, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Everybody's poor without Jesus. Everybody's rich with Jesus. He is our riches. He is our inheritance. When you have him, you have everything. And when you have him, you can ask anything. And he'll do it when it's in accordance with his promises. Amen. And he says he sent me the next thing he sent me to do. Jesus said, and he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Now, why does God want our hearts to be healed? And I'm just got I just got to explain this to you and catch up with the with the last service and we'll be done. But God wants our hearts to be healed because our heart is the essence of our identity. Our heart represents our authentic self. God doesn't look at the outward. He looks at the heart. This is what it's, it's so important that we get a hold of this. Is it says in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, he says, he says, man judges according to appearances. Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. He says, for the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
Now, it's really important that I get this across to you. God doesn't look at your heart to judge it. He looks at your heart to see what it contains so that he has something to work with, because if your heart is filled with the promises of God, then God is watching over his word to perform it. We need to fill our hearts with whatever we want God to see. God doesn't see your sins. He washed them away. He's not looking in your heart to see your bad motives. He's not looking in your heart to see where you failed. That's been washed away by the blood of Jesus. He's looking in your heart to see what it's filled with so that you give him something to work with. Because Proverbs three, verse three says, write the word of God on the table of your heart. Why are we supposed to write the word of God? Look at what it says. Proverbs three, three. I know I said that's the last verse, but hurry. Look at this. Hurry, hurry, hurry. (laughs) He says, write them on the table of your heart. Why? Why are we supposed to write God's word on the table of our heart? Habakkuk, chapter two, verse two answers the question. Look at what he says. Habakkuk, chapter two, verse two. Look at he answers the question. Why should we write the word on our heart? The Lord answered, said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets. The tablet of what? The tablet of the heart. Why? So that he may run who reads it. What is happening here? God looks on the heart to see what you've written on your heart so that he can take what you've written and run with it to bring it to pass because he is the vision maker and the vision keeper. And he's watching over his word to run and perform it. And because we're not writing the word on our heart, he's got nothing to work with. So he's just standing still. He's not judging you. He's just got nothing to run with. And if you write crap on your heart, he's not running with that. Sorry. He's like, no, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Stand still till you get put some write some good stuff on your. I'm not judging you for what that junk that you put on there, but I can't run with that and bring it to pass. You say, so how do we how do we write the word on our heart? Psalm 45, verse one. I'm glad you asked. Psalm 45, verse one. My heart is overflowing with a good theme. As I recite my verses to the king. Who's the king? Jesus is the king. God is the king. So how do we write our verses to the king? My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. So with our tongue, we write God's word on our hearts. And he does not judge as man judges. You got some junk in your life. You got some sins in your mind. You got some mistakes in your past. You got some bad motives in your heart right now. But God does not look at those things. He's looking for what you have written in your heart that he can run with. My tongue, as I speak God's word, I'm writing it on my heart. It's overflowing with a good theme. It's overflowing with a good theme as I recite my verses to the king. And so what to look at, I think it's in the New American Standard Translation, as I recite my verses to the king. In other words, as I as I speak the verses of God and of his word to the king, I'm writing his word on the table of my heart. My heart is overflowing with a good theme full of God's promises on my heart. You see how much power you have in your heart? 
And then the, the one who reads it, the one who doesn't judge on the outside. So you say, well, I got all this stuff messed up in my life. God's not looking at the outward like that man looks at. He's looking at the heart. What's written on your what have you been writing on your heart? I'm healed by his stripes. God is for me, not against me. Blessed coming in and blessed going out. Favor surrounds the righteous like a shield. Man, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above only and not beneath. I'm more than a conqueror. Whatever I ask, I receive. God is for me. God is good. If I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And as you write that stuff on your heart, God looks at it and goes, yeah, I can work with that. Yeah, I can run with that. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, I'll make miracles happen with that. I'm writing the promises on miracles happen when you believe, when you believe, when you believe. How do you believe? Write the word on your heart. Write the word on your heart. Write the word on your heart. Because the one who reads it is going to run and bring it to pass.